Jesus started his ministry in Nazareth, he got up in the uh, synagogue and he opened the scroll and he read these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He got in trouble when, uh, when he then added these words, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Basically saying, I'm the one that's going to do all this. I'm going to proclaim the good news to the poor. I'm going to proclaim freedom to, for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, and set the oppressed free. When Jesus uh, uh, left this earth, he entrusted his ministry to us, and so as the church, his body, uh, we are all about all of those things as well. Uh, we are proclaiming the good news to everyone, especially to the poor or the disenfranchised. We are, uh, we are proclaiming freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, not just physical sight, but spiritual sight, setting the oppressed free. And so our emphasis today is, um, it is going to be a little bit different maybe than a, than a typical service for us, and that is because we're going to be focused specifically on uh, the, the topic of trafficking, uh, human trafficking, slavery, uh, the, specifically how um, uh, the, the problem, and then uh, how our church, uh, our denomination, and many others are helping to solve that problem. Uh, over... Uh, 40 million people in the world are uh, trafficked uh, today, which is more than at any other time in history. Um, we, you would think as, uh, as, the, as world, the world progresses that we would, uh, we would get better at this or that this would get better, uh, and, um, and, and yet there are more people being trafficked today than ever before. You're going to hear some, uh, some testimonies of, uh, of what our church is doing in the, uh, in the world to fight this, and hopefully you'll, uh, you'll get some handles on how you can be a part of the solution. So I think, Danny, you're coming up first, and uh, I'll just turn it over to you. Go for it. Um, <clears throat> this story is, or this testimony is called A New View from South Africa. Uh, it originally appeared in NCM Magazine in winter of 2015, and was written by Stephen Phillips. Um, so... <clears throat> So when working in the field of human trafficking, um, it's easier when you're able to clearly identify a particular person or group as evil. However, my perception was challenged deeply several months ago. I was in Cape Town, South Africa, attending a conference on the issue of human trafficking. On one night, we went to do some outreach in the city, uh, targeting well-known brothels, which are hotspots of trafficking. Uh, I was a bit nervous. It is always hard to go into a new context and area you don't know well. We arrived at our place of outreach, invited into smaller groups. So many things were rushing through my head, such as, will people even be open to talking? As the women in our church group were talking to some of the women forced to sell themselves on the street, I noticed one young man looking at the group as we were talking to these women. My first thought was, he must be a pimp, the one controlling these girls. I looked at him with resentment, thinking, what kind of a person does this? I decided to walk to him and start a conversation while the rest of the group was talking to the young women. As I approached him, I tried my best not to let my emotions reflect on my face. 
the young pimp shared how he had come to South Africa because he was promised a soccer contract. But when he arrived, he was forced to sell drugs and girls. I asked, why don't you just run away? As if I could fully understand the depth of his situation. He said he feared for his life, that when he arrived, his traffickers informed him that his choices were to sell or be killed. I was silent, thinking carefully about what the right thing would be to say. Before I could open my mouth, though, the young man asked, what are you doing here? We were here telling people more about Jesus, I said instinctively. He immediately asked if I would pray for him. That night, a group of us prayed for this young man and connected him with the local ministry. I also met Henry, not his real name, a soccer player and a businessman from Nigeria who was promised a better life in South Africa by his brother. Upon arriving in South Africa, though, there was no job for him. His brother hid the fact that he was a pimp and a drug dealer, but when life became tough for Henry financially, his brother pulled him into the life of trafficking. Our group shared the gospel of Christ with Henry, who gave his heart to the Lord but was scared to leave his job. For a year, others in Cape Town continued to follow up, follow up with him. He finally allowed God to set him free. Today, Henry is a new man. He released the girls he was pimping and now started sharing the gospel with other men who have been trafficked from Nigeria. Henry has set up a soccer team, and we are encouraging him in the Lord and supporting his team by, starting, by start playing tournaments. The trafficked men are excited about this, and more of them are considering quitting the lifestyle of pimping and selling drugs. Through these encounters, I was reminded of Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32, where Jesus speaks about the parable of the two sons. In verse 31, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. I realize that I am quick to judge people who take part in crime of human trafficking. It became clear to me that people who are living in darkness know it. I was so quick to think I understood the circumstances, and because of that, I looked at others with disdain. God reminded me that he loves everyone equally, and those caught in darkness might go to heaven before me. My prayer continues to be that God would always allow me to see people the way he does, with complete, unconditional love, and that I may never think that I am better, but understand that to be compassionate is ultimately to understand that if one person suffers, so do I. To live a compassionate lifestyle is to suffer together and to act until both people are free from suffering. This is called Hope for a Victim of Trafficking in Moldova. Um, We will call her Maria. She is 19 and the mother of two young sons. They live in Moldova. Maria's mother died when she was young and her father wasn't around. She and her sister went to live with their grandparents, but things began to fall apart when her grandmother died. After a short while, Maria ran away from her grandfather to the city where her cousins lived. This same cousin introduced her to the streets with only a grade 9 education. She was prostituted for the first time. She was 13 years old. We met Maria during a volunteer training day for our mobile intervention clinic. A Christian doctor and counselor, both trauma-trained, was were teaching five volunteers how to provide pre- and post-counseling for women being tested for HIVs and AIDS. While researching ways the church could address the problem of human trafficking in Moldova, we learned that this test is one service 
women in the tr sex trade said they would welcome. In response, we turned a van into a mobile cl clinic to provide rapid HIV and AIDS tests and health checks, as well as referrals to other services. Maria was the first young woman we approached. She asked if she would like, we asked if she would like to be tested and she timidly accepted the offer. Inside the van, she told us how she wound up in this life and was tested for HIV. Thankfully, the test came back negative, but Maria said she was worried that she was pregnant. She asked if we would stay until after she took her pregnancy test that she had already purchased. We agreed. The test confirms, confirmed Maria's suspicions. Her face fell. She said she was considering an abortion. She pitied the life another child might have with her. She still hoped to have more children later in life, though, and expressed concerns about problems with pregnancy after an abortion. The doctor confirmed that risks do exist. I shared with Maria our desire to help women begin new lives. I told her we could connect her with other organizations that can help. I told her we were there to walk alongside her and help her in any way we could. While I spoke, while I spoke Maria kept her eyes down or fixated downward, avoiding eye contact. But when we offered to take her to the doctor to get an ultrasound of the baby, Maria lifted her head and she said she would like that. Three of us went with Maria to the doctor, who said her baby was already 11 weeks old. When Maria showed us the sonogram image, we celebrated with her. She didn't talk any more of abortion from that point. Two weeks later, after frequent contact with our counselor, Maria visited a Christian residential res resortion program for survivors of sex trafficking. While she didn't make a decision that day, she was uh, articulate a basic hope. I want to have my family together with me. Maria left the residential program to go back to the streets. Unfortunately, that is, un is common with highly traumatized victims who have known no other life. But we are not giving up on her. Maria had her baby, a healthy little boy. We threw her a baby shower and offered her support. After the birth, we are still in relationship with her, and we continue to talk through alternatives for a new life uh, for Maria and her children. And we still hold hope. Two different stories uh, and Nazarene Compassionate Ministries uh, on, the, uh, on the ground helping out uh, in two different places in South Africa and in Moldova. A couple more stories. Fred's going to come in and uh, share and then Jeanette. So uh, just hear a, a multitude of different places where, we're, uh, where we see the need and uh, responding. So come on up, Fred. This is a story about the church at work. Finding Family in the Philippines. At eight and 10 years old, Christine and her older sister, Hannah, are already survivors of online sexual exploitation. When a friend invited them over to play, they didn't think anything was wrong, but their friend was already being exploited and had been coerced into inviting them. For two years, all three children were exploited by a man who sold videos and images of them to online buyers. At Sechem, I think it's Sechem, Sechem, Sechem Children's Home, they are able to be children again. The home is an assessment center in Manila, the capital of the Philippines, and it is the first of its kind. <clears throat> children live at the house for a period of months while a specialized staff helps them to both process 
the trauma they've experienced and determine <clears throat> what the next best step is. After they leave the house, the children will either return to live with a family member, go into foster care, or live at a long-term shelter. The online sexual exploitation of children, OSEC, is insidious. Many children don't realize what they're doing is wrong, or they're told that their actions will help earn money for their family members living in poverty. It's also extremely difficult to prosecute. More than 70% of OSEC cases are perpetuated by an immediate family member. <clears throat> Christine and Hannah's story is unique. As soon as their grandmother found out what was happening to them, she went to the police. Leoti Tan Eshkavaz III, the Nazarite Compassionate Ministries Coordinator in the Philippines, says the staff at Sechem wants to be there to help at every level. There's a great need for these children to be accepted, so we accepted them, he said. We shouldn't focus on what happened to them, but on what God is doing in them right now. Along with careful physical and mental care, Sechem also aims to address the spiritual. Members of the Church of the Nazarene come to lead devotionals weekly, and the children pray together before meals. <clears throat> the staff at the house says that this is an area where they are seeing God's transformation, transformative love at work. <clears throat> Many of the children arrive at the home angry, depressed, and afraid. While months spent at Sechem don't heal years of hurt, there is already a peace that is visible. When they first arrived at Sechem, Christine and Hannah cried regularly. Their transition was extremely difficult, and they wouldn't engage with the house staff. Slowly, though, they have become a part of the family of the house. That is our goal, that it would not become an institution or a facility for them, but that it would be a safe place for them to be just a kid. Currently, as of August 2019, the section children's home is housing 12 children. Christine and Hannah's story is possible because of the generosity of churches and individuals during Freedom Sunday. Gifts given to the Freedom Offering in the past have supported the opening of new anti-trafficking ministries, including the Sechem Children's Home. Your gifts this year will support new projects as well as a continuation of ongoing anti-trafficking work. These are the stories of how the Church of the Nazarene is working to offer freedom to individuals who are victims of trafficking and exploitation. Finding Freedom in the Red Light District in India, Perry's story. In the novel of Late Mizrab, Victor Hugo tells the story of Fontina, a young woman who is turned to prostitution when it's the only way she can provide for her young daughter she loves. Here's a story of the boundless love of a mother. Fontina is a fictional character, yet her story is true for far too many women around the world. And while many people write these women off as no longer worthy of care, a local Nazarene church near a red light area in a large city in India has reached out to women in prostitution through drop-off centers. The centers are named Hope for Life. 
they are starting two Hope for Life centers caring for children in the area and providing hope and the possibility of a new life for women like Perry, which is not her real name. Perry was born in a small family in a remote village in eastern India. She got an education and married a good man. They had a baby boy and lived very happy. But her husband passed away and the happiness died too. The young woman reached search for work to provide for her son and could not find any. One day a friend came to her village and invited her to a large city. The friend promised a good job that would make her enough money to care for her child. When Perry reached the city, she was taken to the red light area. She was told by her friend she could do, she told her friend she could not do this work. Yet when it, she couldn't find a job to pay her rent, food, or other needs for her children, her child, she became desperate. With no other options, Perry agreed to work in the red light area. I felt like I was in hell, but there was no other way, she said. That was 20 years ago. Now Perry has continued in prostitution to provide for her children. Recently, Perry became, came to a drop-off center. There, her children were given a safe place to learn and grow. Perry attended workshops to protect, her, protect herself. She also attended weekly prayer. When a counselor visited her at her home, she shared about her past and her grief, deep grief of her life. The life lived in the worst life of the planet. I don't see any hope anywhere to get me out, she said. Perry knew this life is not good for her children and would like to come out of the pit. But I don't know how to make an income, she said. The counselor suggested she take advantage of one of the vocational training options at the Hope for Life Center. The center offered a course in beauty salon training, bakery production, and tailoring. Today, Perry is enrolled in a tailoring class and is preparing herself for a new life ahead. To learn about this ministry and check, out, check it out on the summer 2018 issue of NCM Magazine at ncm.org backslash magazine. Perry's story is, possibly is possible because of the generosity of the church and individuals during Freedom Sunday. Gifts given to Freedom Offering in the past have supported the opening of a new anti-trafficking ministry, including Hope for Life, your gifts this year will support new projects as well as the continuation of ongoing anti-trafficking work. So have you ever just gone through the motions of something? You're supposed to do something, but then you just kind of go through the motions and you don't really accomplish what you should have accomplished. Example, when I was growing up, I used to put my toothbrush under the water so my parents would hear the water running. If they would check the toothbrush, yes, indeed, it was wet. But alas, I had not brushed my teeth. I just went through the motions, but I hadn't really done what I was supposed to do. Same with washing my hands. Uh, you know, you'd run your, water, you'd run your hand under the water, uh, maybe even uh, dry them off. Did you wash your hands? Sure. Um, 
didn't watch, I'm not sure, I'm probably telling how dirty a child I was, I guess, but um, uh, anyway, they, just going through the motions. I remember that with, uh, with ironing. Uh, you know, did you, did you iron that? It's still a wrinkled mitt. And I had run the iron across it, but I hadn't paid attention to the fact that it needed to get all the wrinkles out. I just, yes, I ironed it. Um, I hadn't really accomplished what I was supposed to accomplish. I, I remember doing this probably uh, a lot with my uh, devotions or reading my Bible. I would uh, read my passage for the day. I'd say my prayers uh, without really encountering God, so to speak. And unfortunately, a lot of times I had just gone through the motions in my, uh, in my time with God. And if you ask some people if they've worshipped God in a, in a given week, they would respond, well, yeah, I went to church, I, uh, I, I, I gave the money, I sang the songs, I prayed, I listened, yeah, I worshipped this week. Um, but, but I think we need to ask ourselves, is that really worship or could that just be going through the motions. So on this Sunday when we're focusing on the uh, evils of human trafficking, it could be easy to just go through the motions of learning and helping. We're motivated by the stories and we're encouraged by how God is using people in our denomination uh, and, and, and elsewhere, a lot of those other organizations, to bring justice. Um, but it's possible to just let it in there. We, we hear some stories and we think about uh, those things and we're sobered by all of that, uh, but then we go from here and we don't really do anything about it. Hopefully that's not the case because, because the God that we serve doesn't want us to just go through the motions. Uh, the Israelites uh, did this a lot and God uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, got at them for it. And Isaiah chapter 58 is, um, is one place where that happened and so I want us to look at that uh, together. It looks like we're having some computer issues which is just a great opportunity for you to pull out your own device or Bible and uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 58 where we will, uh, we will be reading about uh, a, a time when the Israelites were kind of going through the motions and God said, that's not what I want for you. So Isaiah chapter 58, beginning in verse 1. Uh, Isaiah, uh, well, Isaiah 58 is, if you're looking for it, is right after Isaiah 57. So that should, that should help you find it real, real quickly. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? I want to pause there. We'll, we'll read, read some more in a second. Um, but the Israelites are doing all the worshipy things, right? They're, they're going through the motion. They're bowing like a reed. They're, they're putting on the sackcloth and ashes. They're, they're fasting. Uh, they're, they're going through all the motions. And then they're saying, well, we're doing all this stuff. Why isn't God blessing us? 
God wasn't blessing them because they were actually being selfish, it says. They were, they were taking advantage of each other. They were going through the motions of worship without allowing it to change their hearts. And that didn't please God. Verse 4 there, it says, you cannot fast, or I think we can insert the word worship there. You cannot worship as you do today and expect your voice to be heard. You can't just go through the motions of churchy stuff and expect your voice to be heard on high for God to hear. So after letting the people know that, this, that their worship uh, was not effective, uh, God, through the prophet Isaiah, told them what their worship should look like. True worship, true fasting, was all about, get this, fighting injustice. The next couple of verses spell that out. It says, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? So God says it's not about bowing down and walking through the, uh, the, the rituals of, of uh, church. Uh, true worship is living it out and and, and meeting the needs of the people around you. I think maybe it's easy to point fingers uh, at, at all the, the, the selfishness and, and greed and things that, that cause traffickers to mistreat and abuse people in the world. And, and we, we should point our fingers at that and do something about it. But maybe we should also pause on a day like today first to... Um, to take inventory in the places of our own hearts and lives where selfishness and greed might rear their, their heads in our lives. I, I'm sure you've never put anyone into slavery, okay? I'm not talking about that. But, 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 but have you ever manipulated a situation for your own gain? I can testify that I have. Have you ever looked the other way when you could have stepped in and righted a wrong? Have you ever reacted in anger Instead of grace, as God's people, we have to be characterized by loosing chains and untying cords and breaking yokes. And that starts with letting God root out selfishness and greed in our own lives. And, and then, once we do that, we should start looking for ways to loose chains in the lives around us. In, in the name of following God and, and in the name of remaining holy, I think many times we, we isolate ourselves from the, uh, uh, from the needs that God is expecting us to meet. And in our daily lives, uh, usually, especially good old church folk, right? We, we don't necessarily find ourselves in the circles where some of these things are happening. We're not, we're not necessarily exposing ourselves to those things. We're, we're living our lives. We're doing our good thing. We have good, upright uh, friends and relationships around us, and we're not necessarily seeing these things. We, we, uh, it, that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's a good thing. We should be living good lives. But uh, uh, one, one verse that, that comes to mind as I, as I think about that is, is James 1.27, which says that there's a little bit more to it than that. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphan and wid- orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
There are two parts there in James 1.27 uh, that, that, uh, that is pure and faultless religion, right? And both are equally important. Yes, we need to be holy. We need to keep ourselves from being polluted by the, by the world. But following God with our whole lives will also mean consciously and constantly showing compassion to, uh, for the people that James calls the widows and orphans. In that culture, you couldn't really get much lower than a widow or an orphan, um, they had no standing in society. They had no one to stand up for them. They, they, uh, they had no one to help provide for them. Uh, widows and orphans were marginalized. They were pushed to the side. They were ignored. And they were uh, hardly ever seen as contributing members of society uh, or anyone that should be treated well. Of course, uh, the, the people that we've heard about and, and seen today would probably fall into those same categories as well, right? The powerless, the enslaved, the neglected. And it's easy to just kind of, that they're on the, on the margins of society and we don't necessarily see the need or respond to it. And so one step in this process has to be that, that we need to make ourselves aware of the problem. To be aware that there, that there are more people enslaved now than, than, than ever before in human history. We need to know that. And, and now that we know that... What are we going to do about it, right? Uh, once we have heard that, uh, we, are, we are then responsible for what we're going to do about it. And so I've just got a, a couple of things here, according to Isaiah 58 and other things in Scripture, uh, of things that we, we can do about it. Uh, the first I've already touched on, and that is that we need to expose and rid ourselves of greed and selfishness. Uh, according to Isaiah 58, the, the first step in this process is to no longer just go through the motions, to no longer just live life pursuing greed and selfishness, no longer just walk through the motions and then expect God to bless whatever I'm doing, uh, but I need to recognize those areas of my life where maybe greed or selfishness are, are uh, motivating me in some way. We need, to, we need to seek God's heart and to have the compassion that he desires us to have. We need to pray the prayer that, that God would break our heart for the things that break his heart. And anything less than that is just going through the motions. We have to look beyond our own lives in order to make a difference in the lives of others. So, so expose and, and rid yourself of, of greed and selfishness. The next step, and, and maybe the, the biggest, is to pray. Prayer is huge. A lot of times we, we use prayer as kind of this throwaway sentiment. Oh, I'm, it's just what you say, right? I'm, I'm praying for you. I, uh, I'll pray about that. And sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. But it's just kind of this thing. But we don't necessarily recognize the power that is in prayer. Uh, but let me, let me remind you. I know, I know last week I said we we're done with Ephesians. And now I'm going to refer back to Ephesians. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Uh, it's good stuff there. Uh, it, just the last couple of weeks, we talked about the spiritual battle. That, and Paul is, is talking to the, the Ephesians, and he says specifically to pray, to, to pray for, for him as, as he ministers to uh, uh, the people that he's, uh, he's, he's ministering to, that we should be praying for those on the, uh, just, just like we're praying for, for Paul. Paul wanted people to pray for him. We should be praying for the people on the front lines of this, this battle against slavery and human trafficking. Uh, use the prayer request that, that we have here. Uh, you know, maybe you, do, you pray through this whole list regularly. Maybe you take a couple a day and uh, make this a regular part of your personal prayer life. Uh, pray for those on the front lines of, of this battle. 
and pray for those who are, who are being trafficked, uh, whether slavery or hard labor or sexual trafficking or, or whatever the abuse. Each of these people is a soul loved by God, not to be forgotten. And so we need to pray for God's intervention and for his grace and his peace and for safety and for wisdom for them as they, uh, many times it's a kind of a, a, a trick, right? They think they're going to get ahead and it turns out to be a, a, a trick and they're, they're then uh, exposed to and uh, enslaved. Pray for the entire industry, not for it, pray against it, I guess, the entire industry. People would, wouldn't be trafficked if there weren't those who were, uh, who were using uh, the, uh, and, and, and in the, the, providing the, the resources. If it wasn't profitable, nobody would be doing it. So we need to pray that there wouldn't be a market for it, that people would, would stop uh, uh, engaging in these things so that uh, there's not a market for it. Pray for the decline and the elimination of the demand for these, the services that are provided through human trafficking. And pray for opportunities to get involved. And, and each of us, that will look different. Uh, it might mean giving. And we, we heard about a, a couple of uh, things. And again, these, uh, these resources on the back are, are uh, great places where you could, you could give, where you could um, um, go to support. You know, these folks are, are on the front lines and they are doing, uh, they, they have the resources or they, they know what to do. If they have the, uh, the funds, then they can do that. So, so uh, giving is, is one big way that we can be involved. Um, and, and again, uh, as you look up these, uh, uh, these resources, you can give directly to these organizations and, uh, and, and respond in ways uh, where, where you can support those, those groups. And some might, uh, might jump at you, out at you more than others. Um, you might not, not ever be on the front lines, but you can help fund those who are. Uh, but then we also need to go beyond that. Uh, maybe it's easier to give and then forget about it, right? We need to pray for ways to get involved. We need to pray for God to, uh, uh, to reveal to us how we can do more than just give money. Uh, maybe you, you can volunteer, maybe short-term or long-term. Maybe uh, you need to take some time to research ways that you can help. Uh, pray about how God might use you to be involved in, uh, in the fight against those who are oppressed. And then the... Uh, uh, the, the last thing there just kind of uh, flows right into it. Be a chain breaker. Now that we know some of the warning signs, we, and now that, that, that we're, we've seen some of these stories and heard about some of the ways that this works, and you've heard of these, these things as well, we need to be on the lookout to, to step in, we, no matter whether the issue is uh, this issue of human trafficking or, or other things that God lays on your heart, uh, live your life as a chain breaker. I guess that's a different, uh, just another way of saying uh, loving people to life, uh, recognizing that, that we have a message and a mission to, uh, to, to bring life to Places where there's where there's death to bring light where there's darkness to, to we are representing the God of the universe and the relationships that we have and as God takes us to places where uh, where where we can uh, allow His light to shine and His life to to fill uh, fill someone else then then we are in the process of doing His work we are breaking chains of injustice and setting the captives free. Pursue justice for those who need it. Speak up for those without a voice. If we are truly, truly worshiping our holy God, we will live differently. I think that's the, the underlying message of Isaiah 58. If you're truly worshiping God from your heart, you're going to live differently. We, you'll be looking for ways to allow God's compassion for people to spill out of your life. Uh, where does God show compassion? What breaks God's heart? 
Orphans, widows, injustice, oppression, hunger, poverty, uh, standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves. God wants to care for uh, the overlooked and the ignored and the weak and the marginalized in the world. And he does his best work through humanity, through you and me. I guess one way to, to summarize that would be that people who have a passion for God will have compassion for other people. If you have a passion for God, if it's what drives you, if you're living your life for him, if you're worshiping him from your heart and not just going through the motions, you will have compassion for other people. When you do that, uh, Isaiah 58 continues and it, it, uh, it turns a corner. So it starts off saying, hey, here's the problem. Then it says, well, this is what you should be doing. And we should be breaking chains and untying uh, cords and, and, uh, and breaking yokes and all of that. We should be doing all those things. Then what will happen? When we do that, Isaiah 58, God says that's when the blessings flow. Beginning in verse 8, he says, then... So once you're doing these things, once you're, once, you're not, uh, once you're no longer just going through the motions, but you're, but you're really meeting the needs in your world, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will, be, will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. Those are some amazing benefits. It's, a, it's an awesome picture. Your light is going to come like the dawn. There's going to be healing that takes place. God will guide you and, and protect you. Uh, God will listen to you. He'll say, here I am. Uh, God will provide for your needs. There's water and refreshment uh, described there in verse 11. There's security. He gives a solid foundation. Uh, there, there is honor that, that, that is bestowed for those who are doing redemptive things in the lives of other people. God shows up in dramatic ways and brings blessing and grace when we are on mission for him, when we are loosing chains and untying cords and breaking yokes. I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not a, a, a simple way to live. It's, it's hard work to live this way, but it's blessed and rich and full. So the question is, how are we going to worship God this week by making a difference in other people's lives? How are, how are you going to make a difference for God in the life of someone this week? How are you going to loose the chains, to untie the cords, to break the yokes of oppression for others in your world and in the world? The, the challenge, I think, from, from, uh, from a day like this is to not just go through the motions, to not just hear this and then go on as if everything is the same, but, but that, uh, that, that, that we allow God to use us to make a difference in the world, that he breaks our heart, that he, uh, that he challenges us, that he motivates, that we're open to be challenged and motivated to do something that makes a difference. 